good morning, everyone. My name's Ken Hayner. I'm one of the elders here at church. I want to welcome you. <laughs> well, thank you. I want to welcome uh, all of our church family, especially those who lost the lottery for the cabins. And I uh, especially want to welcome our visitors. Glad you're, glad you're here this morning. I'm, I'm pitch hitting for our regular lineup. Um, but I hope uh, we're going to have a great day together here. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 28. Uh, we're going to uh, use Genesis 28 and Genesis 32 for our text today. Uh, keep your thumb there. We'll get to there in just a minute. Well, was the power of God on display this week or what? Severe weather. We lost uh, power at our house three separate days. Uh, we haven't lost power all summer. Uh, you might have lost power too. But with those, that, with that severe weather came some spectacular vistas, wasn't it? Jack Saramuga, I know you, you take pictures of uh, our beautiful half-moon landscape here. I think it was last Saturday I looked out to the west out my kitchen and up over the hills, over the cornfields, over the uh, gardens. It was late in the day. The sun was low in the sky and it was, it was pouring rain. But yet the sun was shining through, and it looked like crystal over the fields. And all I could think of was a terrarium, kind of like the Garden of Eden, where it was just continually watering itself. The farmers say that it, uh, if it rains when the sun's out, it means it's going to rain some more. And uh, they were right. I think, it was the, I think it was the next morning, I'm not sure exactly the day, but Sunday morning I look out my bedroom window to the east as I get up, and uh, through the trees, the sun was just coming up, and through the trees there's a little break. And looking through the trees, it was like a prism. The sun was rising right through that clump of trees, and it was bright, bright orange. I ran out to find my son Josh to, to say, you've got to come look at this, uh, but I couldn't find him. And I went back to look at it again, and it had risen up high enough where it was past that. But it, but it was spectacular. One of my favorite worship songs is My Redeemer Lives by Nicole C. Mullen. And uh, I, I, can't help, I can't help but think of those scenes. And she asks in the song, she says, Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? Who, showed, who taught the oceans they could only go this far? Who showed the moon where to hide until evening? My Redeemer lives. Yes, my Redeemer lives. And I remind you today that our Redeemer lives. Amen? The same God who spins things into orbit is the one who runs after the weary, the worn, and the weak. That same God. That's a great picture. I know many of you here this morning are weary, worn, and weak. I, I know some of your stories but I want to tell you that we have hope in Jesus. We have hope in Jesus. I, I hope you're encouraged this morning through his word because there is hope. There is victory. That this, is, this, this time that you may be going through doesn't last. But he can strengthen and equip you, equip you through this time. And we have hope. Hope. The world needs hope. We all need hope, don't we? The Apostle Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. 
If you've been born again, you have a living hope. And Paul, another pillar of the faith, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You know, we we leave here each week and we get, the world wants to take away that hope and it wants to just diminish it. But let's remind ourselves that uh, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we have hope and we should abound in hope. Let's pray before we open up the word here. Dear Heavenly Father, who are we that you should be mindful of us? For the earth is all yours and your creation is beautiful. Thank you for the lives you have given us. Lord, I pray that your spirit will fall heavy on anyone here this morning who is seeking you. And I pray for all those who are seeking healing, healing of wounds to the body, the mind, and the heart. Please, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, comfort those that are grieving this morning. Lord, thank you for the hope and the victory that we have in Jesus. Help us to grow to be more like him. May our lives be worthy of our calling. Lord, fill us with that joy and peace in believing so that we too may abound in hope. Lord, please help me speak as we open your word and open our hearts and minds so that we may apply the lessons from Jacob's life to our own lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Our study this morning is about one of the patriarchs, Jacob. And the turning point of Jacob's life came on a time when he was weary, worn, and weak. And God changed his life forever. God even changed his name. And, and, and Jacob was blessed. But Jacob's life was a struggle. And it took some wicked events and God intervening in a drastic way before he was blessed. For baseball fans, I think of the qualities of Billy Martin. If you, if you follow baseball and you remember Billy Martin, it, we got to know his drama pay, played out every day in the, in the New York papers as the manager of the Yankees. I think he was fired five times, always striving, always planning, always scheming, always in confrontation with people. He's one of those people that just always seems to rub people the wrong way and his relationships ended in disaster. It seems like that was, that was Jacob in this part of his life. As you may know, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. And Abraham, Abraham was the patriarch of the Jewish nation. In Genesis 12, we read that what we call the Abrahamic covenant. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Like so many other people that read about in the Bible, Jacob had faults. It was one drama after another with his family. These were, these were other people, the outside world. These were his own family that we see this drama. He had problems with his father Isaac. And why wouldn't he? We read in the Bible that Isaac favored Esau, his, twin, his brother. 
he showed, he showed favoritism. So why wouldn't he have a problem with his father? He had problems with Esau. He, he, Esau was the, 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 the one that his father loved. So there was jealousy and rivalries. He had trouble with his father-in-law Laban. And uh, it's funny how God had him serve Laban 20 years for his daughters and things. And Laban was sort of just like Jacob. And they were at each other. And ultimately, Jacob had problems with God. Jacob's name means deceiver. The literal translation is grabber. He was a con artist, a manipulator. We'll read shortly that Jacob didn't know how to pray. He was a man full of fears and anxieties. I think as we look at Jacob's life, there's little parts of it that we can all relate to. Everything was a struggle. He was a selfish individual with selfish motives. We first learn of Jacob's struggles in the womb with his brother Esau. Even as Esau was born first, Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel. It's like, no, me first. It was like the kids in camp this week. I'm batting first. I'm playing first base. I'm doing this. The struggle continued as he manipulated Esau and stole his birthright from him. Later, he connived and schemed with his mother to rob Esau of the blessing that their father was planning to give him. And he lied to his father to get it. Doesn't seem to be a very likable character yet, does he? His father was furious, and Esau vowed one day to kill him. So his mother, who favored Jacob, told him to flee 450 miles away to live with his uncle Laban. And that, too, was a lot of drama over he married, married Laban's daughters. And you can read about that. Um, I won't go into that just for the sake of time. But it was, it was, a, it was continual drama with, with that family, too. Jacob took care of Laban's herds. And uh, as payment for his labor, uh, he, that he helped, and the great wealth that he helped Laban accumulate, he manipulated the herds so that the strongest herds he got to keep, strongest of the herd he got to keep, and Laban got the weaker parts of the herb. And Laban was furious with him and chased after him. So let's back up just a little bit. That's a little bit of the backstory. We'll back up a little bit. Let's go to Genesis 28. We're going to start in chapter 10. This is Jacob's dream. And I think we can glean some things over here. Starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and, you, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This happened as Jacob was leaving to go visit and live with his uncle Laban. So God repeats to Jacob the covenant he has made. You would think that Jacob, if he didn't know God before, that God's hand was on his family, he would surely know now. But sometimes our sin clouds our vision. And we can't clearly see what everybody else can see clearly. God's hand was on his family. But Jacob, just it seemed to just kind of gloss over. Or maybe our lack of faith, we don't believe it. With the ladder stretching from heaven to earth, God is showing Jacob that the way to blessing is fellowship with God. But we don't read that Jacob had any kind of fellowship or relationship with God. Now what are ladders for? They're for climbing up and climbing down. And it was a picture of climbing up to heaven to talk with God and climbing back down to live his life. A prayer ladder, so to speak. We all need prayer ladders. Converse with God and come back down. Let's also note, Jacob had done nothing whatsoever for us to think that he should receive any kind of blessing from the Lord. He didn't didn't clean himself up first. If you are taking notes, we can't ever clean ourselves up enough before we come to God. God visits Jacob right where he's at. And yet, God makes a promise to him. God is sovereign over all our affairs. I don't know about you, but that is both comforting and terrifying at the same time. To know that God is sovereign and he loves me and cares for me and that he has my best interests at heart. But it is also terrifying because, because well, my pride gets in the way. And I like, to, I like to think that I'm in control. I think it is supposed to be that way. We think we have such control over our lives. And I think in the end we find out we really didn't. I don't really understand that. I really understand that. One day we will, though. It's where wisdom is needed. Right? It's where wisdom is needed. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Right? <laughs> Notice how God places absolutely no conditions on the promises he makes to Jacob. These are the same promises he makes to Abraham and Isaac. God doesn't say, if you behave or if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. He just makes the promises. But what does Jacob do? His response is he puts all kinds of conditions on the vow that he makes to God. 
pick up again in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that I give you, I will give a tenth to you. So if God's going to do this for me, you know what? Then the Lord shall be my God. And I'm even going to give a full tenth of my income to the church. But if he doesn't, the contract is null and void. I have an escape clause. I don't have to uphold my end of the bargain. Now this isn't in the nope, not in the Bible series, but it very well could be because unfortunately that kind of thinking invades us probably more than we think. Maybe in our, in our relationships with God, but in our relationship with our spouses or in our relationships with other people. All right? It's kind of like, well, you wash your back, I'll, I'll wash your back if you wash my back kind of thing. And that's not, that's not how, how God works. It is natural man thinking and not spiritual man thinking. So let's jump ahead. Let's go to Genesis 32. Again, you can read over the, in between Genesis 28 and 32, you can read about Jacob's uh, time with Laban. Jacob marries Rachel and Leah, and he has many children, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And all those genealogies that we gloss over, if you read ahead in the book of Matthew, and it reads, these are the genealogies, and you find out all these Family tree of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through David, all the way to Jesus. The New Testament is the continuation of the Old Testament. What a beautiful thing. So Jacob's, we went up to Jake, uh, Genesis 32, and Jacob, after 20 years, is about ready to return home. But he's got a little problem Esau, he knows that he had that vow to kill him, and he has no idea what to expect. So he's in great fear. This is Jacob's day of reckoning. The day he feared for 20 years has arrived, his reunion with Esau. Will Esau try to kill him? We don't know. Jacob, and Jacob doesn't know. So Jacob develops a strategy, a strategy that he hopes will placate his brother. And it's an elaborate strategy. So let's pick up in uh, Genesis 32, chapter 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So we called the name of that place Manhattan. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. 
I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. Jacob decides that it's, in, it's best to inform Esau that he's coming back. So he sends out a scout team to kind of get a lay of the land and feel him out. It's probably a good idea, right? Sounds like a good plan. We want to scout who our opponents are and come up with a strategy to figure out how we're going to, uh, how we're going to win. This is probably just a good strategy to try to survive here in, in Jacob's case. And I think in a way he's also sending a message to let bygones be got bygones. Right? I, I think we can read into that that you know, by coming home he's, he's hoping to have some kind of reconciliation. Now, sometimes we're, we're separated from people for a long time, family or friends, and maybe it's a little tiff or something and time goes by and I hope our hearts are tender to reach out it's the hardest thing to reach out but we really find out what is the hardest part is just the fear and that when we do reach out we usually find out the other person feels the same way and there can be reconciliation and healing verse 6 and the messengers returned to Jacob saying we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He wasn't just sending a, uh, a welcome party. He was coming with an army. 400 men. How can you look at it any different than he's coming to... Uh, he hears that Jacob is back. He doesn't necessarily know where he is for 20 years. And he hears that he's coming back. Or else he's coming looking for him. Not sure. So we're not sure what Esau's intentions are at this point. He divided the pe- so Jacob, he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Verse 9, And Jacob said, O oh God of my father and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love in all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This prayer of Jacob is the first time that he has shown any humility uh, toward the Lord in his pr- in, in a prayer that, that's, that, that's recorded anyway. And he's getting to the point where eventually God will be able to use him as he's realizing that he may not be able to save himself and his family through his own devices. Do you see the picture? The picture here? 
not, not only of salvation, but of our sanctification. And realize that it is God, God that works to will in our lives. Then, in true Jacob fashion, God, just in case you forget, let me remind you of your promise to me. Kind of throwing God's own work back at him. See, Jacob had a foundation, but he still always relied on his own devices. He hadn't learned to trust at this point yet. He hadn't, he hadn't had the faith that, that God, that he gave him these promises that God was actually going to fulfill him. He thought God needed a little help. So let me remind you, God, this is what you told me and, and this is what you can, uh, you can expect here. Jacob was self-centered and he prayed only to get himself out of a jam or when he needed something from God. And then Jacob returns to his natural state. He returns to planning. Praying wasn't enough. He had to take the matters into his own hands. We read in verses 13 through 21 of Jacob's elaborate strategy involving 220 goats, 220 sheep and rams, 30 camels plus their young, 50 cows and bulls, and 30 donkeys, each passing ahead of Jacob and his family with a great distance between each. Now that's, that's a pretty large farm. And I've read that that was a, a, bigger, a, a bigger offering that a whole village would make to, to, would make to some foreign visiting dignitary. It was, it was a huge bribe basically, to placate Esau, to soften him up. But more than that, it was to, it was to slow him down. It was a, a military-type strategy because he set the animals, he would send them out in droves, as we read here. He sends out the, 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 the first drove of animals and then he put a distance between them. So those animals come up to, the, to, to Esau and his army and uh, they were a gift and if that didn't soften him, if Esau kept going, then he would have to carry all those animals with him. And then the second drove, they hit the second drove of animals, and they were a gift. And if that didn't soften him, and he kept going, he had more animals to deal with. And all the while, all, all of Jacob's servants were mingled in among him. And it slowed him down. It would slow down Esau's progress, and it would, it would, it would take away a sneak attack. And Jacob did it along the river. So we had you know, a little strategy there too. Yet Jacob still felt vulnerable. It is there when we have nowhere else to turn that God shows up. And I can't help but mention in our comfortable American lives, if we could only recognize how vulnerable we really are. We have forgotten God. And this starts with the church in America. Right? This starts with the church in America. It's, it's, a, it's a sobering thing. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could become a better version of ourselves. 
that's not in the Bible. That's, that's a series for next summer. He, did, he died to save sinners from the wrath of God. He made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He took the penalty for our sin, and all he asks is that we trust and believe and obey. Our culture, we celebrate rugged individualism. The self-made man or woman, Hollywood glamorizes it. Our sports heroes we worship as idols. Wealth, power, strength, confidence, and prestige. It's about winning. We're going to win. We look down at fear, weakness, failure, and doubt. Can we see how that picture right there makes it so hard to submit ourselves to Jesus? Some people, with that kind of attitude that we have, and I, I, I'm a baseball coach, hardworking, industriousness, determination, they're all good character traits for people of integrity. But when integrity is gone, Natural man takes over, and uh, we see, see what happens here. We see it with, with Jacob, and we've, we've witnessed it. Jacob has not shown any integrity in dealing with his own family. You see, Jacob is a self-willed person. He's not seeking the will of God. He's seeking his own self-will. And many times the smartest and the wealthiest and the strongest among us have the hardest time coming to Jesus. And the Bible tells us as much. Our pride is an awful sin to surrender. And of all all the miracles that God performs, I think the greatest miracle is the miracle to change a heart. Would you agree with that? That our, Our pride is so, so hard. And I think it is through Jacob's story that each of us see some of our own struggles and trials, our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. It's hard to make yourself vulnerable, but by making yourself vulnerable and weak, God will make you strong. It is such a hard thing to understand, but for people who have been born again to a living hope, we understand that when we become weak, then God shows up and makes us strong. And not only that, he blesses us with fruit. We have fruit in our lives. He gives us a changed heart. We have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He gives us this fruit so that we go about our life, we look at his word, and we look at the world around us, and we, we have comfort and peace and joy in believing. He has not left us. He is always with us. But our sin clouds that. We don't, it is not always easy to see. So let's pick up in verse 22. I read various different commentaries on this part, and uh, I see very well respected people kind of take it different ways. And uh, anyway, I think, I think it tells us something. And uh, we shouldn't necessarily read into it what it's not. But it is certainly something. 
Jacob wrestles with God. I think it was more God wrestled with Jacob. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Self-will is a lonely place. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. I got this. No problem. Why do we do that? I've asked myself that. It is nothing but pride. I don't need anybody. And you know what? With that attitude, people will generally leave you alone. Right? I speak to the men here. This is a major problem for us. There are lots of lonely men. We will never admit that there's a problem. It takes God-equipped strength for us to swallow our pride. We can't do it on our own. It takes God-equipped strength for us to swallow our pride. And that's what happens here. Jacob is alone. He's weary, he's worn, and he's weak. He's no doubt exhausted. You think traveling across the desert with the entourage, walking riding a camel and it's hot and he's got all this stress and anxiety. I can only imagine the exhaustion he felt at this time. And yet he still won't submit his will to God. He still does not submit his will to God. So God intervenes. In his mercy, he intervenes. In his, in he, in he, in his grace, he he intervenes. Now, we read this and we have to ask, who, who is the man who wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day? The word for man in this case usually refers to deity. All right? It, it quite likely was a pre-incarnate Christ. The word also means uh, an, a supernatural being. So it could have been an angel with the Lord. We don't know. Jacob asks, and the man won't tell him. So I don't know if we're supposed to fully know. We're, maybe we're supposed to wrestle with it ourselves too. Hosea 12.4 references Jacob struggling with an angel. So maybe it was an angel with the Lord. It could have been appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, I, 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 just the picture of, God, of Christ or an angel wrestling with God, we would, we think that would be over like that, right? It would be a, a pin in the first period. God in his mercy, God in his mercy, maybe it was a, maybe it was a spiritual Maybe it wasn't a physical, but yet he touched his hip. So 
I, I'm still working with this myself, and I, I encourage you to study it yourself. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a spiritual struggle. Maybe he was battling with him in prayer. I don't know. I've heard, read, heard very, very uh, respected people say that's what it is. But I don't know if we can know, know for sure. But anyway, Jacob won't surrender his will. So God touched his hip and it was put out of joint when he wrestled to him. Sometimes God has to go to extreme measures to get our attention. So the man did not prevail against Jacob. Jacob was not going to surrender his will, so the man touched his hip socket, and his hip, hip was put out of joint. And by doing this to Jacob, Jacob now saw God for who he really is. And Jacob was the winner. He had to trust God and hold close to him. I, re- I remember that time. I remember that time. I was in my late 30s. I had grown up going to church, and I had... I had knowledge of God. I had a, a foundation that my parents had given that I, that I had learned. But I didn't know God. I, 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 the belief was simply that if you asked me a Christian, I would say, well, yes, of course. But I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that meant. And then God in his mercy in his late 30s, he ordered the events of my life that I was in a place, I, I was used to, I was an athlete, uh, you know, generally likable person, I guess, with people. And, you know, I had I always had a lot going for me. And uh, life was good. Life was good. But I always relied on my own power and my strength. I didn't really, really didn't really need God. I was doing just fine on my own. And God could have let me just go like that. He could have just said, you know, you're on your own. You're doing great. That's fine. But as a Christian, I was of no use to him. And in his mercy, he ordered the events of my life to put me in a place where I had nowhere to turn to. I I couldn't fix the problems that I had. It was impossible. And there's only one place he bought me, and that was to my knees. And I finally submitted the pride that I had and gave in. And at that moment, I felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off to my shoulders. I felt now that I had had a strength and a power. I had hope that everything was going to be okay. Jacob saw God who he really was. And because of the hip, he could no longer run from his brother. He was, he was stuck. He had to trust God that God was going to save him. And finally, we see a change in Jacob. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go. For the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob realizes that his only hope is in God. So he clings to God and he won't let go until he receives the promised blessing. And that is what we should do. We should cling to God 
until he blesses us. And Jacob said, what it, said to him, what is your, or God said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, the deceiver, right? The grabber. And God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Not prevailed in the physical sense. Prevailed in the fact that he submitted and by submitting he, he won. And this is how Jacob came to be blessed. And through his family tree, all the families of the earth. This was the day that Jacob was set apart for service to God. It changed his heart. It changed his worldview. It changed who he was. It gave him a purpose for his life. The day he began to live by faith. To trust God with his life. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Verse 30, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the, of the thigh. So it kind of comes, comes to the end here. It's kind of like the princess bride, right? And it goes back and he closes the book and, and, and his grandson saying, well, tell me the rest of the story. What happened? So what happens? Esau has a change of heart. Running to meet Jacob, Esau embraced and kissed him and wept. And all of Jacob's plans and schemes were amounted to nothing. Jacob says to him, you can read about Jacob's meeting with Esau in, in, in chapter 33. But Jacob says to him, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt generously with me, because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. He offered Esau forgiveness and grace just like because, because God had offered him forgiveness and grace. And that is what we are to do. God has dealt graciously with us. We are to deal graciously with others. You know, we, we pray. I, I invite all of you to come to our prayer meetings on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Um, it is a wonderful time together and uh, some of the greatest people that I know attend that Sunday morning. So I invite you to come. And we pray for salvation for a lot of people. And uh, I just, I, I, I saw a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I want to share with you. And I, I think it I think it was appropriate because I'm talking about person's will. A person's will. And Charles Spurgeon says, 
I do not come into this pulpit hoping that perhaps somebody will of his own free will return to Christ. That was Jacob, right? My hope lies in another quarter. I hope that my master will lay hold of some of them and say, you are mine and you shall be mine. I claim you for myself. My hope arises from the freeness of grace and not the freedom of the will. I think that's important to remember as we pray for our loved ones that to be saved, that God will get a hold of them. That it may not be of just their free will that they're just going to come because that may or may not happen. But when God gets a hold of them, and I, I, I felt like that in my life, I just felt like everywhere I turned, there was God. Right? Everywhere I turned. I think the psalmist talks about that. Every which way I turn, God, you're there. And I felt like his thumb was on me in a good way. I think that's our prayer for our, for our loved ones is that God will get a hold of them and that his will will be done. When I think about God and Jacob wrestling, I can't help but thinking of Paul's meeting with Jesus on the Damascus road. Wasn't Paul very similar to, to Jacob? Right? Paul was... Pharisee. He knew the law of Moses forward and backwards and he persecuted Christians and he was on his way to Damascus to round up some more and God God had to intervene in his mercy. He intervened. And this same Paul says later on, he says, to live is Christ to die is gain. Wow. Wow. Paul had to lose and submit in order to win. I think it was over invert, and I'm not sure if it was Matt or Tyler, said that God must do a work in you before he can do a work through you. And uh, that's it. He had to work in Jacob before he could work through him. It is a great joy and purpose to discover the meaning and purpose of your life. And I just want to close and remind us that this light momentary affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory found in Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer here. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word, for it is life. It is life to our souls. Lord, it cuts right to us. It is convicting. We learn about Jesus. We learn about your holiness. And we learn who we are, Lord, in our natural state. Lord, we just thank you so much that you have sent Jesus as a bridge to reconcile us to yourself. Lord, I pray for those that are seeking you today. I pray that the dots will line up here, Lord. I pray that they, that they will see, Lord, that you are all over their life, that everywhere, every way they turn, that you are there, that they are not here by accident, Lord, that there is a plan and purpose for life and that you desire a relationship with them. Please encourage them, Lord Jesus. May they seek you today, Lord. 
We, we know that when, they, when people seek you, when we seek you, you're right there. And you will come to us and you will give us faith to believe, Lord. And we pray that just as, just as Paul prayed, that we may abound in hope, that you will give us the joy and peace in believing. For our church family here, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, I pray that you will fill us with joy and peace in believing as we leave here. That we will be a light to a world that is dark. That we will be salt, Lord. That we won't lose our flavor. Lord, we can only do that through you. Help us to die to ourselves and to live for you by the power of your spirit, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. We ask you to bless it in your precious son's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.